Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. So I'm joined today by Jane Adshead Grant. Jane is a master certified coach and Jane works um, with organisations to create culture where people really know that they matter. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. You're Claire. welcome. It's a real pleasure to meet you. We've asked you to think about a huge, a huge question around where does business culture come from? And where do you start with that, Jane? What's the starting point for you on that? Well, I think, first of all, it's such a great question, Claire. Um, and the thing that came to my mind is, how do you define culture? Mm. And so in my experience, culture is a set of behaviours. You know, how do we show up at work so that people can mirror that behaviour, become that behaviour in a way that serves others, in a way that's, you know, for the good of all people? Mm. So for me, business culture is a set of behaviours that organisations will, I hope, define for um, each other in a way to live and breathe their vision each and every day. It's so interesting to think about an organisation defining a behaviour. So that when you even say that sentence again out loud, it's odd, isn't it? Because the behaviour is the people, is it? That's what sort of comes to my mind. I think that's a great point to pull out because whilst I, I share with you it's the organisations because I think culture is often used or one's description of culture is often used as a bit of a recruitment tool mm -hmm. where organisations will be very proud of their culture and say, hey, look, this is what it's like to work here and we are known for these behaviours. It's a great place to work. In fact, we're on the list of the top 100 companies to work for. And so, you know, that is often the external voice to attract people in. Mm. And yet, and also there's an internal voice that says, this is the way we want to live and, you know, be with each other as individuals, as teams in organization, so that we create a culture where people feel fulfilled every day. Mm. And that's the internal voice. And then, of course, you get the everyday experience, what you and I experience as we go to work each and every day. And so I think... When I think about where is where does culture come from, actually I think it's local. All culture is local. Mm -hmm. So whilst we might talk about, as an organization, we have this culture, in reality, it's actually local. And I, I can give you an ex example of when I first started work some 30 something years ago, I worked at an investment bank and I was very lucky to work on the executive floor. In fact, I started my career as a secretary working for the PA of a chief executive. I worked on the sixth floor and you could feel the, the culture, the environment by the way the chief executive walked in to that sixth floor on a Monday morning. He would either walk in, relax, having had a lovely weekend, saying hello to everybody, or something dramatic would have happened at the weekend, the markets would have crashed or something had happened and he would be furious as anything. And people wouldn't say boo to a goose. In fact, they avoided his office. Mm. And so the culture was so... Um, observable as a result of the way the chief executive behaved. And then you'd go down onto the second floor, which was where the operations floor was, and they'd be chatting about their weekend and people would be really engaged. And the leadership there was a bit different. And so again, that was a really interesting experience at a very young age of my career to notice the difference of culture 
within the very same organisation. Mm-hmm. It's all local. And that's so interesting as well because um, what you're talking about there is a culture that could change just daily or even hourly based on the behaviour of the, of the leader in that culture. Well, here's the thing, you know, because people want consistency. Mm-hmm. And I think if you end up changing behaviour every day, what you get is a lack of consistency, which actually could lead to a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. And that lack of trust is something that was something that would dissipate any culture. And so one of the things that I do as a coach and a leadership facilitator is working with leaders and their teams to develop cultures mm-hmm. based on a foundation of trust, based on understanding the responsibility of leadership, what it really means so that you can create this environment of consistency where people know that who they are and what they do matters. Also recognizing that we're human beings and whilst we want to show up each and every day in a consistent way, sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. But it's being conscious of that and knowing and being aware of how our impact, our behavior rather, will impact others. So interesting, isn't it? So so thinking about an organization that feels like it maybe hasn't got the culture that it really wants and thinking about um, what organizations can do to shift culture, how would they do that? Such a great question. In my experience, it starts with, first of all, declaring why they they exist. Mm. First of all, let's get clear on the purpose And it's not just about what we do, Claire. Mm. It's about why we do what we do, because that's what people are interested in first. And Simon Sinek is wonderful at this with his wonderful start with why. Mm. And, you know, helping organizations determine why we're in business, why we exist, and then think about how we do that, our values, our behaviors, and then finally what we do Mm. in terms of our products and services. So the first thing is thinking about uh, their mission in terms of why they exist. I call it mission, but why they exist. And so it could be, for example, thinking about not just what they do or how they do it, but it's around their whole purpose and their existence. Mm -hmm. And then to think about, well, if this is why we exist, how do we need to be and behave in order to live out that, to live out that whole purpose? So working with a team, because I think, when I think back around what work is today, it's all about teams. You know, rarely do we see the success attributed to one individual. And so when we work with teams to create cultures, that can have a knock-on effect and other people in the organization saying, hey, I want to work in that team. What's going on in that team? And so if I go back to where does it start, it starts with, first of all, everyone understanding why we're in business, for what purpose, and then helping the leader, the team leader, discern and think about with his or her team, what are the kind of behaviors that we want to embrace in order to live each and every day in service of that that purpose. So this is the work that I would encourage leaders today, team leaders, to think about Mm. what they care about and how do they want to behave each and every day as a team in service of that purpose. So I think there's something in there, um, there's something really powerful in that why, isn't there, As as you very wisely say. And perhaps it's not about the marketing speak, the the sort of in, investor mission, values, the vision and all that kind of stuff. Is it more about what the team leader does in his or her day that drives that culture, do you think, and those behaviours that you talk about? I really do. 
I think it is, I think one of the things that I've had the privilege of discovering afresh myself over the last couple of years, I've worked with an organization called Barry Waymiller, and they are a multinational organization headquartered in the States, but have operations all over Europe and the UK with some 12,000 team members. And interestingly, they're known more for their culture rather than their, what they actually do. Mm. And the culture is defined by Simon Sinek, funnily enough, as truly human leadership. And I think one of the things that organization exemplifies is really committing to the leadership development of their leaders. So helping leaders, team leaders, become equipped with a mindset, with tools and techniques for their teams so that they can engage um, and inspire their team members to perform at their very best. And so I recently spoke to Anne Franca from the Chartered Management Institute, who talks about what she calls the accidental manager, the manager who is, you know, the great salesperson, the really great engineer, you know, the very accomplished accountant, who, because of their skill in the technical area that they work in, is given a team of people in that area, often peer promoted, so lots of challenges there around their own position in that team, um, but also with no management experience or skill necessarily at all. Have you seen that when, with the businesses that you've worked with? Most certainly. Yeah. I think it's a very common situation. Mm. And I think, again, the responsibility of leaders in organisations is to begin to expose young people to leadership from an early age. And so by that, I mean, give them opportunities and expose them to projects, initiatives, if they have the opportunity to be on a secondment, where they are given the responsibility of leadership. I differentiate management from leadership, actually, specifically, in that you know, management around managing process or projects, whereas people don't want to be managed. It's a bit like people don't want to be supervised. Mm. Rather, they want to be inspired and engaged by a leader who believes in them. Mm. And so I think one of the responsibilities of our leaders today is to equip the future generations so that when they step into their first leadership role, they understand what leadership's about. They understand how to care for those people in their span of care. So my view around that is helping leaders to really understand what it takes to be a great leader. Mm. They understand the privilege of what we would say at Barry Waymiller, they describe it as being a steward of the people who have entrusted their lives to work for you. So starting giving leadership opportunities at a young age as you begin your career to set you up for the future, I think is one of the key responsibilities of our leaders today. Yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting to think that some major organisations, some big organisations invest heavily in this sort of, I guess you might call it training and development. What about some of the smaller businesses? What about some of the organisations that start as you know, little SMEs, you know, people set up their own companies and they grow and suddenly before they know it, they're at 40, 50 people and they're really in this situation where they don't have an established learning and development team or a leadership training program, what can they do, do you think? So in my role as a coach, I do experience that too, where budgets are tight and investment is often discerned, whether it should be in technology or people, it's yeah. something I come up against sometimes. But I think for smaller businesses is to think about, 
employing or working with a coach, a coach who has supported other organizations, other leaders, so that it becomes very relevant and very personal for them. Because the beauty about coaching, especially one-on-one coaching at the executive level, is, is that it's all about the individual, it's their leadership. And of course, our role as a coach is to free the mind of the individual rather than direct it and help them to discover what's best for them and their development and their organization. And one of the things that I've noticed, it doesn't take a lot of money or investment to really care about the people who work for you. And this is the thing that I've really recognized and see in leaders. The ones who really stand out for me, Claire, are the ones who take the time. It doesn't have to be a lot of time, but a time to connect with their team members on a weekly basis at the minimum. And it only need be for 15 minutes, but just to check in, what's working well for you? How can I help you? And that's the point about the development of leaders today is when you stop back and think about it's a human being that I have in front of me and not to see them purely as a function, an accountant or an operations specialist or a marketing expert. Rather, I have a human being sitting in front of me. And so what is it that they may need in order for them to be the best they can be today and every day? So I think that's a fundamental thing, isn't it? But it doesn't happen all the time. So what's getting in the way, do you think? What's stopping that behaviour being more commonplace? I think we are growing up an environment that's increasingly short on time and tight on resources. I think you're spot on. The reality is that, in fact, one of the challenges many of my clients share with me is time. Jane, I just don't have time for this. Mm. I've got targets to reach, objectives to meet, clients to develop. And so for me, it takes a mindset shift. And I think it's about looking at organizations that really do exemplify an environment which says you matter. And there are many out there today. Barry Wamel is a wonderful example. Um, We see others such as Unilever where they're beginning to really think about how do we let people know that they really matter, that there's a purpose that they feel inspired by. And so it's really paying attention to other organizations and leaders and role models that we can begin to Mm. take notice of. But the challenge today, I think, for organizations, uh, leaders in organizations, is the mindset of, you know, the investment in people will, in the long term, I feel sure, outrun any investment in anything else that you can do. Because... People are business, and people is what will differentiate you from anything else. Yeah, I was reading something at the weekend that talked about how organisations should stop referring to their people as assets Mm. on the basis that they're not an asset of a business. They are, exactly as you've just said, they are the business. Mm. So just going back to the big question on culture then, so purpose, that sits behind having a really clear clearly defined why and having that consistently seen across a business. What else do you think supports the real strength of a a culture in an organisation? Well, I think for a culture to be strong, it needs to be replicable and scalable. Mm. And it can be observed no matter where you are in any part of the organisation. And in fact, my husband works for an organisation that part of their culture is shown visibly that by their logo and they have a certain colour painted wall in every single office where you'll go. And so you think, oh, I'm home, I've arrived at this organisation. 
So I think there are some visual artifacts that really can help amplify the culture, but not to be too wedded to those. I remember walking into an organization in the city where they had just relaunched their culture and they had these wonderful massive tombstones as you walk into the reception <laughs> around what they stand for. Mm. The sad thing is that wasn't what people experienced on an everyday basis. And I coached a number of people in that organization that would say to me, this is what the senior leadership profess we are all about, Jane, but it's not who I, how I experience the leaders in this organization. Mm-hmm. I think what is really important to sustain and make that culture replicable and scalable is using the behaviors in everything we do. For example, if one of our behaviors, one of our values is the way that we treat people with care and a business decision has to be made such that we need to lose people and whilst we would try everything to put them or rather relocate them or give them another opportunity in the organization and we've we've looked at that but we simply can't, it's the way we go about letting people go. And so as we make our decision from a business perspective... How do we do that? And we therefore use the values, the behaviors of our culture to drive the way we make that decision. Mm. That's something that I would really encourage every leader to think about when they are making the business decisions in order to create value both for the business and for their people. And I think that's that's really interesting because there are big decisions to be made, aren't there? There are difficult decisions and that's one of the key leadership skills, isn't it? Being able to make the tough decisions and yet doing it with some compassion and some consistency does make a difference. I'm, I'm remembering something you said earlier in our conversation about trust here and thinking that there's an impact there, isn't there? Hugely. And, you know, it makes me think about, Claire, that old adage where people join organisations often for their culture, Mm. and yet they leave because of their boss leader. And again, that speaks volumes to the fact that culture is local and it's driven by the team leader. Mm. And I think one of the things for any team leader to really think about if you're wanting to sustain a healthy culture, one where people feel that they matter and feel fulfilled in what they do, is to generate the belief of trust. Mm. And that is all around being compassionate and being consistent, being competent in what you do. And also, you know, having a character of strength that says, you know, when it counts, you know, I'm there for you. And, you know, really following up with doing what you say you're gonna do. But I think the element of trust is critical in any team and any business because that trust goes far beyond the leader and the team. It spreads out to the organization and, of course, to the other stakeholders, customers, clients, in fact, shareholders. So developing that belief of trust in an organization as part of our culture is is essential. So thinking about trust then, that's so important. What might someone who's new to a post um, as a manager or as a leader in an organisation do to very quickly develop trust within their team? I think there are many different ways. One of the ways that for me is a huge demonstration of trust, especially when you join a team for the first time, is to show up as an equal. Whilst I I might be a leader or you may be taking a leadership role, but to let your team members know that we're in this together. Because actually coming back to that whole team perspective, 
in my experience, the leaders are there to create the environment for the team members to go thrive, to find and nurture their talents and then thrive so they can add value both to themselves and their organization. But building that trust from the get-go, one of the things that I really witness is the capacity to listen. And in fact, it's a subject dear to my heart. I wrote a book on it and I feel very passionate about developing leaders who listen, who take the time and who care to listen to the thoughts and ideas of their team members. Because after all, if you want to feel fulfilled in what you do as a team member, it's about having a say in what you do. You know, and the research is out there that says what makes people happy at work today is an opportunity to be listened to, an opportunity to work with some great people and to have a purpose that you feel inspired by. Mm. And so this capacity to listen, I think, is one of the key elements of building trust and to do it from day one rather than coming in and espousing what one might think they could do to shift things and make things even better, mm. to actually listen to the people who are there, to listen to what their hopes, what their aspirations are, what some of their frustrations are. And one of the wonderful things that Barry Wayman discovered through the development journey of its culture, Truly Human Leadership, is the real noticing and the awakening that when you ask people for improvement in their own role, that they would give it willingly, their heart, their mind, their soul, because they come to work prepared to give their hands, and yet when you ask them for their thoughts and ideas and ways of improving their work, they give their everything. I think um, I'm mindful of what happens where, because we are human, we might make a mistake and lose that trust. What, what do you think in your experience a leader can do when they've done that, when they've damaged that relationship? How can they get it back? Well, I think, you know, trust can take a while to build, but it goes in an instant, mm. to your point. And of course, we've seen that across organizations and sadly across industries. I think getting it back is I'd love to bring in the work of the wonderful Brené Brown, who talks about vulnerability. And I think that's a word that a lot of people feel very uncomfortable with. And yet I think it's essential. I think leaders who are willing to be vulnerable to say, you know what, I didn't get it right. Mm. I messed up. Because after all, as you said, Claire, we are human beings. And there will be things in our control and there will be things that are out of our control. But to be able to be vulnerable and speak to what didn't work, and more importantly, the lesson we learned from that, and if we could turn that into a positive around, okay, this was a mistake, it was a huge error. And this is interesting because you see that at a global level with organizations who make big mistakes, whether it's financially, legally, or with a uh, industry body mm. and then they come out in the press and then they then share with everybody actually we made a mistake that's when they begin to build the trust once again however if they don't do that if they throw it under the carpet or try and hide it under the carpet and just seek that short-term profit win again they will have lost trust not only from their customers and clients but also the people that work there mm. I mean we see it everywhere don't we in politics and big business I mean it's just that, that sense of being able to say when you've got something wrong, so important. Just thinking about, in summary, some maybe some final thoughts from you in terms of really what part a leader or a manager has to play in shaping the culture of their 
team, first of all, as you talk about local culture, but also then in supporting the wider culture. What might be your, your maybe top three tips for somebody in that sort of role? Well, I think first of all is to understand the privilege and the responsibility of leadership. And in that role comes developing the culture for the team and in turn the organisation. So the first tip I'd give is to really think about and take a, when you say yes to a leadership role, know the profound responsibility that you're taking on. The second thing is to work with your team to and help them feel aligned to the purpose, why you exist, for what is the purpose of your business. And thirdly, to work together in discerning some core behaviours, we would call them values, around how do we want to show up with each other that are in alignment with the overall organisation so that we can live to these and that everybody knows and feels that they matter by the way that we live these behaviours. And not to be afraid to call out when we don't. Thank you so much. I think that is fantastic advice that I hope everybody listening to this is really going to think about over the next few days. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with me. My pleasure. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Podo podcast produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndell. Thank you.